This is Laree Daniel Favors, and welcome to The Hub. If you have seen any of the following, this is us, House, Juice, Shooter, you know this brother, but if you were Gen Xer like me, you know this brother, know this brother, and you're excited about all the times he shows up on screen. Omar Epps is here today, actor and producer, and he is here to talk about his debut novel entitled Nubia, The Awakening, uh, with Delacorte Press, an imprint of Random House Children's Books. Uh, it was announced by Beverly Horowitz, senior VP and publisher, and the book will be the first in a young adult adult series co-authored with Clarence Haynes about three teenagers, uh, the children who are refugees from a fallen African utopia. Y'all already know I'm excited about this, uh, who develop powers that they have to use to navigate a climate ravaged New York City. I am thrilled about this. Y'all know me by now. This is one of my favorite genres. Uh, Omar Epps, first of all, welcome to the show, brother. It's a pleasure to have you here. Thank you for being with us today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Uh, on the break, we were just being reconnected with your Brooklyn roots. And so you are a son of what I like to call the, the world's greatest city, uh, the city of Brooklyn, the People's Republic of Brooklyn, to be exact. Uh, but talk with us about <laughs> how uh, you have transitioned from being on screen, still on screen, killing it on a regular basis to now incorporating this role as an author of this particular type of book. How did this story first come to you and what is it that you're hoping readers will take away from it? Oh, that well, that's a loaded question. First of all, for, for, and first of all, thank you for having me um, uh, for us to get to share this time together. Absolutely. Uh, for me, um, my acting career started from writing. Um, I've, I've been writing my whole life. Um, my mother was an English teacher when I was growing up. Mm. She started out as that. She ended up as a deputy superintendent and so forth. But so poetry and you know, whether it was Baldwin, Angelou, like it, all of this stuff is, was my normal life. And um, acting became an extension of that. Like, how do I express it in a different form? Mm. And so for me, coming back to the, it, it, for me, it's like a full circle thing um, when it comes to Nubia, the awakening. Um, I had a, a, an idea came to me one day um, and I thought to myself, what if love itself was illegal? Ooh. Like actually illegal and then reborn through this 14 year old kid huh. <laughs> who doesn't know that he himself is love, right? Wow. And then I started spiraling from there. And that's how we, you know, once I got my co-pilot, uh, Clarence A. Haynes, who's an incredible writer, um, uh, you know, we just started, you know, we had hours and hours and hours of conversations of, you know, what the story was, how we're trying to say it, what we're trying to say and so forth and so on. And the underlining, um, the underlining uh, feeling of the book for the reader is I want them to leave with a sense of um, obviously love, but yeah. unity and hope. You know, because mm. because um, at the at its essence, it's a uh, it's a coming of age story of these three teenagers who are displaced and they're just trying to figure out life like anybody at that age. But in their adolescence, they they their gifts I call them gifts, not superpowers, mm. but their gifts mm. 
start to sprout and they don't know what they are because their parents didn't pass that information on to them because the parents thought that all of their gifts perish with the destruction of Nubia, their, Mm. their origin land, Mm. you know? So these kids are like, you know, I can do this and I can do that. And it's like, okay, what are they going to do with it now? You know, which side of the fence are they going to be on? So wow, that's kind of where it came from. So this title, Nubia, when you, whenever you invoke names like Nubia, Kush, any of those types of names, you, you're stirring up something. Like there's an intentionality there because, one, these are not names that are really in public parlance, if you will. But for black people, there's a particular – we know Nubia. We know Kush. We might not know, you know, between – I have had some high school students who told me they thought Martin Luther King helped free the slaves. So we might not be wrong on our facts and our trivia because, you know, the nature <laughs> of public education is what it – come on, brother. You know what it is. Your, your mom was educated. You know this. But that yeah. – said even though we may not have the specifics we know something enough about words like nubia kush these these types of terms that it draws on something it pulls on something for us what was it about nubia that you wanted to include in the name and and what is what are you signaling to the reader with with that decision Mm, that's a really uh powerful question i mean you can throw in assyria you can throw in there's a lot of names you can throw in right and my for me, I move off of instinct uh, creatively. Mm. And it just, when I, as I was writing the book, uh, Nubia just felt right to me. Wow. Uh, because I want the reader to wonder about that name. What is that? Mm. Oh, this was a real place. So these were real people. And then go study that. Because as we know, it's specifically in American culture, our black history has been ripped from us. We don't know who we are. And then you have to go to college and choose to take an elective to discover some of this stuff. And even that is marginalized. So I wanted to create a template uh, for a young reader to get that instantly, get a Mm. sense of who we are, or at least the image of it in their mind that hopefully will sit with them and will conjure their interest in discovering more. You had me at conjure. For me, it was natural. Yeah, for me, it was natural. It wasn't about a a thing. It was just like, oh, this is it. And and, um, it's Nubia, the awakening, Right. right? Right. And that's intentional. The awakening is the first book. And I'm working on the second one right now. I love this. And I, I love knowing in advance that this is a part of a series. There's nothing like falling in love with characters that are speaking to all of these elements of who we are as people. And then the book ends. And you're like, but why? I need more. So I'm really glad that this, <laughs> this is a part of a series. But this idea of, of parental displacement, this idea of, of our elders, our ancestors having gone through traumatic incidences, traumatic events. And in this t- story, it's, you know, the, the destruction of the homeland and then choosing or, or being forced into a position where they're co- coping skill is silence. The coping skill is we're not going to talk about it. It's too painful. We're not going to do it, you know, as opposed to, you know, other communities that say never forget. We're always going to remember. For some of us, the trauma has been so significant that choosing to be silent about it is almost a, a defense mechanism. And yet we see, I think, in this story how that defense mechanism doesn't really serve future generations. Talk with us about why you chose that as the particular 
challenge that these kids were going to have to overcome, in addition to all the other things, the climate devastation in the city that they are now considering their home, what happened back at, in, in their homeland that they have been really force, forcibly removed from, why was the, the need for parental silence and not passing down information generation after generation, why was that a, a, a tool that you needed to incorporate into the story? Ooh, that's that's powerful, uh, sister. Uh, that that question is powerful. For me, everything is intentional, and so again, it's about the information. And um, it, you know what, what's what's uh, I, I would say dare to say criminal is like again, like we get taught about things like Black Wall Street. Yeah. In reality, there was like a hundred Black Wall Streets. Right. Right. We only get taught about Tulsa, Oklahoma. We don't get taught about all the other things. Or we get taught about Nat Turner. But there was thousands of Nat Turners. Right. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. In reality, right? We get the one Harriet Tubman. And it's not taking up and away from those people. But I'm saying we get the one person. And it was like, no, there was thousands of them. Right. That, you know, and from all walks of life. You know, so, and, you know, what I wanted to do with uh, Nubia was just be very blunt and intentional about the information. And so that chasm right there that you talk about, like, because when the parents are not passing on the information, Mm. it affects their children. And then their children come into these gifts. And and the way that I correlate that to me is because I'm a black male from a single parent household. I didn't didn't grow up with my father. I didn't know my father. I met my Mm. father one time in my whole life. But even now, as a forty-nine-year-old man, it's like I feel a a um, I feel a void of self, mm. you know, that I don't want any of my kids to feel. I got three kids. I don't want them to feel that void. Mm. You know, I want them to at least have a sense of, oh, this this is this is my grandmother over here. This is my grandmother over here. It's my, you know, this is my family. Okay, this mm. is where I come from because it. All of my friends that have had their parents, they have a sense of self that I don't have. Yeah. You know, when I'm with my boys in Europe and we just driving to go to eat somewhere and they like, oh, that building right there. Yeah. My great, great, great grandfather built that. Mm. And I'm like, wow, that's dope. And they just Mm. feel so solid in their being. And I'm like, Wow, that's cool, man. How, like, how do you even know? Oh, because you know, and it, and that's what I'm trying to create with Nubia mm. for these children. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, you know, we're not gonna be here forever. So what are we leaving behind? I'm not trying to leave behind just films and television. I'm trying to leave behind a breadcrumb trail of knowledge mm. for our children. You know, so that they can. Everybody is gonna extrapolate what they want to. Right. Because art is subjective. So I get that. Right. But there are overarching themes that I, well, I guess this is selfishly, like I need the reader to take away. So again, going back to the notion of love through the character of Uzochi and Mm -hmm. going back to the themes of unity and hope, because at the end of the day, that's all we have. You know, I've come to this place in my life where I realized that there's only one race and that's the human race. Mm. Because if a rock big enough hits this planet, everybody's going to be in the same boat. That's right. It ain't going to matter how much money you got, what you believe in, where you come from. 
none of that's going to matter. It's everybody's going to be trying to survive. Hmm. So my thing is, how do we get ahead of that? You know, and that's why I wanted to place the story in 2098. Yeah. You know, yeah. and and really look at the the, the cataclysms, the isms, racism, hmm. sexism, classism, cataclysms yeah. of, of climate change and things like that. And okay, so what does this look like? Like, and I had to base it in New York because that's where I'm born and raised. Right, so right. I know this city like the back of my hand, you know. <laughs> and it was like, okay, so let's look at Lower Manhattan. Let's look at Midtown. Let's look at technology. Let's right. look at all of these things. But these kids, they just kids, because it's gonna be kids then. Right. That's gonna be being teenagers trying to figure it out. But here's a little something extra on that you know, um, in that way and how do they unify for the betterment of themselves. Mm, I love everything about that. And the idea of, of setting it at some point in the future while they're grappling with issues that are relevant for us today, just in our today version of them, it kind of evokes a, a sense of Octavia Butler for me. I don't know if you're familiar with her writing. Um, Octavia Butler yeah. is some. Yeah. And so to, to read her books now, some of which start or take place in 2024 with a president by the name of Donald Connor, like just, it's almost like a prophetic nature to the way that she was dealing with yeah. these issues. And I, I would often say, you know, Octavia Butler is a prophet and then the amazing dr greg carr uh, once said in response she wasn't a prophet she just knew black history and if you know our history <laughs> you know our present and you can understand the future so this idea of imagination is something that I think we don't necessarily tap into a whole lot. You know, daydreaming, imagining, these are things that we relegate to children, right? You know, stop daydreaming, wake up and be, confront reality. But I'm, I personally believe that imagination is one of our tools to freedom. Like, if I can't imagine freedom, I ain't never going to work for it. I ain't going to strive for it. I'm not even going to know that it's a possibility. Talk with us about the way imagination, and, and as yes. an adult, you, you said yes. you're 49 years old, you've got three kids, you're trying to pass on something different. What role does tapping into your own inherent power of imagination? Maybe, maybe let's call it a gift since we don't want to use the word superpower your own gift of imagination <laughs> what does it look like if all of us were able to tap into that space in a way that had at its center being concerned about using our imaginative powers gifts if you will to make our communities that much better off what would our world look like do you think i think it would be incredible i think that that um imagination is the only reason that i'm here mm. like i i have dreamt about all of these things that I've experienced since I was a child. But the thing is, not only did I dream about it, uh, I put the work in towards it, Yeah. right? So yeah. it's like it, every kid that plays basketball is probably dreaming about making it to the NBA, but they might not make it. I mean, there's right. only, what, uh, 3,500 people in the world that are in the NBA, so I get right. it. But the thing about imagination is, oh, you could become a great trainer or you could become a great coach, or mm. you can become a great scout. There are so many layers to that same dream. Right. And that's what I learned early on. Like, it doesn't have to be exactly how I see it. You know, it just happened. The, I was fortunate that it happened the way that it happened for me. Mm. But, and that's what I'm saying, like this newbie of the awakening for me is coming full circle because I'm coming wow. back to the beginning, which is, writing that's how mm. all of this started for me you know and i think that if we all tapped into our imaginative powers they are a power because yeah. for you to do what you do you know nobody saw that 
for you. Right. Only right. you saw it in your mind. Right. And then you put the work in and then it starts to happen. And people were like, oh, yo, I didn't know, you know, X, Y, and Z. But, and then we just go on, go on. If you think about a Puff, you think about a, a Jay-Z, you think about a, a Dr. Dre or mm. a Leonardo DiCaprio or whoever they may be. Yeah. Like these people had these dreams uh, of how to live. And, you know, and then you're able to exercise that through opportunity, mm. right? And I think th- that that question you asked is very powerful to me because for me, I think about humanity. Mm. Like there's a, like there's no reason there should be anyone on earth that is homeless. Right. Is what That's I'm trying right. to say. That's right. There's more than enough money for just that, the basic food, clothes, and shelter. Now, if you are Zuckerberg and you come up with Facebook, cool, you should be compensated. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. If you're Elon Musk and you come up with Tesla, that's cool. You know what I mean? Like everybody should be compensated for what they bring to the table because right. that's what it is. Life is a big, a big ass table full of food and everyone's bringing their own plate, mm. right? A, a plate of offer, uh, you know, because at the end of the day, I believe that we should, well, at least this is how I believe we should all be servants to a greater cause. Yeah, yeah. I'm you right know? there with you. So yeah. if it, if we if we serve in ourselves, that's a very limited space in mm. the dash that we call life. But if we're serving others and trying to help, uh, you know, other people in whatever ways that we can, because sometimes it right. can't be monetary. But right. I know from where I come from, if we needed a cup of rice, I could go down the hall and, you know, ask Miss Johnson, yo, can we get a cup of rice? Like right. we short right now. Right. And she would have the rice and then. In, in that community, that village, but now you're talking on a global scale. Mm. So this brings it back to Nubia in that you have this displaced people who are not just that they're teenagers, but it, their whole entire tribe is displaced. Wow. And, you know, and they're just surviving. Like they're mm. in the worst part of New York City, in the book, we call it the swamps. Mm. Now, if you go to Midtown and Uptown, it's called the up high because that's where technology has fused with the human body. Wow. So that's where the rich people are, mm. you know, and they and they trying to not necessarily figuring out how to get up there. They're just trying to survive the swamps because it's, it's, it's underwater. Right. They live on stilts, like in foreign countries that we see now. Wow. And I would say that Clarence Haynes and I, we we went through painstaking conversations of how to bring these issues up that would correlate to the now mm. for the young reader. Yeah, and that's so they can grasp important. something like hugely. Yeah, important. so they can see something like they're like, oh yeah, that's like this right now. Right, but it's a hundred years from now. Right. You know, we have just a second or two before the man cuts us off because we go hard into a commercial break with whether we want to or not. So I'm going to give you this question, but you only have like 30 seconds to answer it. I'm sorry. Um, okay. The question is, this. <laughs> the question is this. A lot of people say if you want to hide something from a black person, put it in a book. They do that devoid of the history, which says for a couple hundred years, if you got caught with a book, you could die. So I, I always like to add that extra information. Why not make this a screenplay? Why not put this on the screen? Why was and I know that we know that you love the written word, but why did you think putting this in a book was going to be the best vehicle to carry this story? 
because it's a more visceral experience uh, for whomever may yeah. choose to read it. And obviously, the the plan is to do film, television, maybe okay. animation. There's there's so many variables that can happen. Right. But right. this is this, uh, this is this is my forever. Mm. That's how I would say it. This is my forever. Wow. This book is never not going to go away. It's always going to be there. So I may sell 100,000 copies this year. And then, I don't know, a million copies in 10 years. I, who right. knows? Right. You know, but this is my forever. So it was important mm. because for me, literature itself in a whole, no matter what genre, is it has shaped me and helped me in my life. I was able to escape through through Baldwin or Langston Hughes or all of these different, Malcolm X, uh, you know, MLK, like just so many different people who have, put, you know, put their thoughts on paper. And I was a little kid reading this stuff and it helped shape me like, oh, okay, I gotta be like this or I gotta do that or I gotta try this or not to mm. do that. And this is my version of that, you I know, and, and and because I'm an artist at the end of the day, I'm an artist, you know, yeah. and so I just hope that these kids and adults of every persuasion, by the way, will be able to sink and lose themselves in this story and like, you know, come out for the better, mm. you know, on, on the other end and come out with a good feeling like, oh, man, that was that was cool, man. Like, yeah. you know, it's a different yeah. world. Like, yeah. Right. In a way that only books can provide. How do people get their hands on it? I, this is one of those that you, I want to sit, I want my kids to not be in the room, even though I'm going to get the book for them, but I want to read it first. I want kids to not be yeah. in the room so I can just get into that space. How do people get their hands on a copy of the book and how can they follow you and support the rest of the work that you're engaged in? Yeah, the book is available everywhere that books are sold. So whether that's uh, Amazon or, or uh, Barnes and Nobles or anywhere that books are sold, any uh, local book, shop um and it's terms of following me on, on social i think they need to change that word follower that's a weird word to me but um <laughs> it's at omar epps you know ig facebook twitter just at omar epps you know at omar and epps. um yeah we appreciate you, brother. Thank you for this gift, this forever. I'm looking forward to being a part of supporting the forever. Um, it's really important when we have people who have options and who choose to use their powers, their gift skills and talents to center stories that matter for us, that that is a value. And so we're really grateful for this book. It's been a pleasure having you here and come to find out you a neighbor a in Brooklyn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's right. a pleasure. I, and I just want to say thank you for having me and I appreciate you and, and keep doing what you do. Absolutely, brother. Thank you so much for being here. Y'all, Omar Epps, let's give him another round of applause as he makes his way on. We appreciate you. We appreciate you. Y'all, go get the book. Independent booksellers, you know how I feel. Come on. We are a literary people.